right. Come on. Happy Easter. Go church family. Come on. You feel good today? You look great. Listen, you, you may not know this, but the song that we just sang here, Believe For It, we actually sang at all of our campuses today, 700 miles from here in Germantown, Maryland, meeting in a movie theater, and then our brand new Westside Atlanta campus that launched today, and then of course all of you in this room singing one song, one voice, lifting up one praise to one God. I just think that's powerful. So I want to say thank you, Jesus. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And I do want to greet everybody who's watching online today as well. And again, everybody in Germantown. And how about that new Westside campus? I think it's fantastic. And all of you, can we put our hands together? Welcome everybody. Come on in all of the campuses, one big family. It's good. And then of course, we have a room here that is set up for overflow. We got people in overflow in this gathering. We had people in overflow in last gathering. So we greet all of you as well. And then we have this tradition where we pause to give honor to the brave men and women that serve in the military and all of the unbelievably courageous first responders. So listen, if you have served in the military or you're currently serving in the military or your job responsibilities places you in a position of being a first responder, we're gonna clap for you, we're gonna encourage you, and I want you to feel that appreciation and love. We thank God for you, and we're better because of you. So come on, church family, can we honor those who put their life on the line? Really good. Thank you, thank you, thank you for serving. Thank you for your sacrifice. I'm gonna pray for you here in a minute. Let me give you two quick things here that I want you to make note of. The first one is this. So we believe in, in discipleship here at Go Church. And so we have a four-step discipleship journey. We call it Move Track. And it happens on the first four Sundays of every month. So step one, step two, step three, step four coincides with each Sunday in, in, in a four-Sunday month. So I'm gonna tell you that because you can jump in to Move Track any Sunday, any step at any time. But if you wanna begin Move Track on step number one, which I highly encourage you to do, that happens in two weeks from today. So jump online, go on the Go Church app, stop by Next Steps. They can all help you to get signed up that way. But get in Move Track, let us help you learn more about the gospel, discover your gift. We'll tell you about church here at Go Church, membership here at Go Church. And it's a great discipleship opportunity. And I wanna make sure that you are a part of that, all right? And the second thing is this, every year we do an Easter annual survey. And depending on your campus location, you were either handed that when you walked in or maybe it was on your seat here at our South Metro location. Will you take that out for just a moment? One time a year, we do an, an annual survey and maybe you're wondering, well, why do you do it on Easter? And the answer is clear. It's because all y'all come to church on Easter. Come on, somebody. So, so we're gonna get some information while we can while you're here. And I wanna say this up front. There are five questions. You can do this completely anonymous, but I would love 100% participation with this. There's only one question that would require you to fill out information, and that is if you want us to call and pray with you or email and pray with you. So you can do this anonymously or you can put your name to it, but there are five questions that we have for you this year. Start with number one here. Uh, every, every, every year after Mother's Day, we do an Ask Away series, and you really drive the conversation. So of the 11 topics that we have outlined here, which one, just one, because if you pick all... I'd love to do all 11, come on. But if you can pick one, that'll help us to really see which topic of discussion is highest in terms of interest. So pick one. If the 11 options aren't enough for you, we have an other section, you can write in one topic there. So if you'll pick one of the topics, that would be a huge help to me. 
And maybe you're thinking, well, shouldn't you pray about what to preach on? Don't worry, I do. I promise you I do. But at the same time, I love to hear from the body. I love to know what you're walking through and going through. So that's a big help. Second question is this, and we're just curious, how long have you been a part of Go Church? Some of you, this is your very first Sunday. Welcome to the dysfunctional family of Go Church. Come on now. I heard somebody say one time, you know, I ain't going to Go Church. It's, it's full of hypocrites. And I always say that's not true because there's always room for one more. Come on, somebody. <laughs> this might be your first time. Maybe you've been here for, you know, a month or two or three months. Let us know. You know, maybe you've been here less than a year or a year to four years or over five years. Just mark that. And then twice a year, the third question, we do 21 days of prayer and fasting. We come together during those 21 days for an hour of prayer. So we're trying to make sure that we facilitate that around your schedule the best that we can. We know that everybody's getting a different season of life and a different schedule. But what one hour during the 21 days, Monday through Friday, would work best for you? You can see the options 6 a.m. to 7 a.m., 7 a.m. to 8 a.m., or 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. And then on Saturday, during the 21 days, we come together, but we also pray on the first Saturday of every month. So similar question, just tell us what time would be best for you and your family to join us in prayer. Then if you flip it over on the back side, we talk about small groups. I'm not gonna read all of the options here, but we want you to be engaged in a small group. We preach this a lot. We believe that real life change happens in the context of relationships. So let's get you into a group. If you've not yet been engaged in a group or you've had difficulty staying engaged in that group, what are some of the barriers? Now, here's a fun one, a fun question. You can select all that apply. Come on, that's good, right? So pick all of the categories that apply for you. That'll help us to do better, be better, get better, grow better, okay? And then the final question is this, do you have any prayer requests? And if you want us to follow up with you, you can check yes, that you'd like a prayer team member to contact you. And I guarantee that we will call you or we will email you if you say yes and you give us your contact info. The only way that we will not respond to you if you ask for us to respond is if we can't read your handwriting. Amen? So write clear because we promise to call you, to email you. We're going to take every one of these cards and we're going to pray over every single one of them individually, all of them individually. So if you have a prayer request, you let us know. Hold on to that card for the end of the message. I'll give you some instruction at the end. And then Westside in Germantown, your campus pastors will tell you exactly what to do with that card, okay? So hold on to that and we'll circle back on the end, all right? Can I pray for you today? How about this? You pray for me, I'll pray for you. We'll invite the Holy Spirit to do a work that only he can do. And I believe lives will be changed on this Easter Sunday. Let's take about five, six seconds here before I pray. Let's just pause a moment of reflection, a moment of meditation, a moment of focus and clarity. Let's get it rid of all the distractions, let the Holy Spirit speak to us. In this moment of just meditation, can you ask God to speak to your heart? Come on, let's take five, six, seven seconds. You ready? God, thank you for loving us the way that you do. So much that you would give your son Jesus to be crucified on a cross, so that if we would just believe, we could have life forever with you. What kind of love is that? It's unconditional love. And in this prayer, and I don't want to preach a message here, but I am reminded that nothing can separate us from God's love. So thank you, Jesus, for the love that you give and for the opportunity that we have to come together on Easter Sunday to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. 
God, I pray for those in this room on the west side in Germantown online that you would speak to their hearts today. You've given me the privilege and the honor and really the, the weightiest job in the entire world, which is to preach the gospel. So I want to echo the words of the Apostle Paul that he told the church at Corinth. And this is my genuine prayer. I don't want to speak with wise and persuasive words. I want to speak with a demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power. I don't want this 35-minute message to be me trying to impress people. I want these moments to be a moment where the Holy Spirit can impact people's lives, change people's lives, and bring them from death to life. So we honor you, Jesus. And I take authority today. I rebuke the enemy. I remind the devil that he's got no power. He's got no authority. He's got no position. And he's got no place. As a matter of fact, the only place the devil belongs is under our feet because he is defeated. I wish the church would say amen there. And we serve a victorious God. So we honor you, we worship you, and we give you thanks. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the whole church said amen and amen. We've clapped a lot for a lot of groups, but I'm going to ask you on the count of three to give Jesus the best praise you've got. You ready? One, two, three. Come on. Let's go. Come on, somebody. Good. So today is Easter at Go Church, and the Christian faith, the Christian community celebrates Easter all around the globe, but we are in the middle of a series here at Go Church, and we're calling it Long Story Short. Long story short, some of you have been a part of the previous two weeks of that series. Today marks weeks number three, week number three. But irregardless of if you've been here in the past or this is your very first day, we're going to catch you up to speed and you don't have anything to worry about. What we're doing with this series, long story short, is we're looking at the Bible um, from cover to cover. And because of the, the vastness of the Bible, because of the depth of the scripture, you know, we can't look at it from a microscopic point of view. Uh, you know, especially not to get all of it in in a five-week series. We have to look at it more from a telescopic lens. So we're picking a few different historical events as recorded in God's Word that took place, and we're talking about them. So let me kind of set the page for us here because I, I want you to read the Bible. God's Word will change your life. Somebody that's read the Word and you can testify to that, can you say amen right there? So the Bible is, is the best-selling book of all time. It's the most stolen book of all time. I don't want you to buy into the lie that the, the Bible is just a rule book of do's and don'ts, rights and wrongs. There are Christian values and ethics and morals in which we should live by. But if you want a summary of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, at the end of the day, the Bible is the story of God's love for us. It really is. It's simply God's story of how much he loves us and how from the beginning, and I'll unpack all of this here today, God is on a search and rescue mission to buy us back, to redeem us. It is a redeeming love story. Let me give you a little bit of facts here about the scripture. The Bible is a compendium of 66 books. If you look at the first five books of the Old Testament, those would be known as the Torah or the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You get into the New Testament with the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then we get to see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that was recorded in the book of Acts. And then it ends with this apocalyptic ending and the second coming of Jesus in Revelation. It is a holy book. It is a good book. Each of those books, though, written by about 40 different authors. 
These were farmers, they were fishermen, they were prophets, they were priests, they were kings, they were poets. They wrote on three different continents from Asia to Africa to Europe. They wrote in three different languages from Hebrew to Aramaic to Greek. And then ultimately they wrote the scripture over a span of 1,500 years. The Bible is historically verified and scientifically certified. Every hot topic that you're worried about or stressed about or curious about can be found in the Bible. As a matter of fact, all 11 of the options on the Easter survey card, you can find the answer to them in the book. Come on, somebody. So everything that we walk through in life, every pain, every problem, every issue, every storm, every challenge, God's love letter addresses all of that. And when you read it from Genesis to Revelation, what's so profound to me, and the only way this is possible, that it can read like one continuous story, is because, watch, man held the pen, but God wrote the word. I'm going to need you to help me preach today. I'll still align from my father-in-law. We call him the bishop of the house. The more you amen, the faster I preach. And by that response... Call grandma and tell her lunch is going to be late. Come on now. I'm going to be here a while. I said man held the pen, but God wrote the word. It is a holy. Now you're ready to get out of here. Like, amen. You say that. Amen, amen, amen. <laughs> Wrap this thing up. <laughs> you know, but at the end of the day, when you look at other writings, you, you look at, at the Quran. It was written by one person, Muhammad. You look at the analytics or analects rather of Confucius, written by one man. You look at the writings of Buddha written by one man. But the Bible, written by 40 different authors, is inspired by God himself. Man held the pen, but God wrote the word. And it is holy, it is set apart. And this is bad grammar, but good preaching. But there ain't no book like the Bible. There's a lot of great books, and some of you have authored great books. But there is no book like the Bible. It is life it is fresh, uh, fresh manna to us. That means it's food to us. Every time you read the Bible, the Bible is actually reading you. So just get into the Bible. And so we, we're pulling out five events from, from the whole scripture and looking at it to make one long story short. So we started with creation. Then last Sunday, we talked about the fall. Today being Easter Sunday, we're going to talk specifically about Jesus and the resurrection I don't really need any affirmation or encouragement. This may not be the greatest message that you'll ever hear, but if you've ever heard the gospel, you're going to hear it today. Okay, we're going to talk about Jesus and the resurrection. Next Sunday, we'll talk about the church. The Greek word there is ekklesia, which means the gathering of people. That's why we call what we do on Sundays our gatherings, because it's a call to gather together. Jesus said we're two or three are gathered in my name, right? And then the following Sunday, two weeks from now, I hope you really come back because we're going to be talking about the second coming of Jesus. And how many of you know that Jesus is coming back? So if you have any interest in that, two weeks from now, we'll talk about the second coming. And then on Mother's Day, Lisa Turkhurst is coming. So a lot of great things happening here at Go Church. So let's go back for a moment here. Week number one, we talked about the creation and we looked at Genesis chapter one, verse number one. Here's what the Bible says. In the beginning, God created. He created the heavens and he created the earth and thus begun six days of creation. And I've told you in this series that when God speaks, God creates. And when you get to day number six, you get to Genesis chapter one, verse 26, you see that God then 
created man. And he made man in his image. Right? And you see the use of plural pronouns like, let us make man, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. That's intentional because we're introduced to the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So God makes Adam, and then from Adam's rib, he makes Eve. And every man ought to thank God for woe man. Come on now. Thankful for you, baby. So God makes man. Then God gives them, watch this, dominion over the earth. Right? He says, you have access to the Garden of Eden. You have access to paradise. And he says, I'm going to put you in the garden, and all you have to do is work it and take care of it. And then he says this, I'm going to give you free will. God made man. He didn't make machines. So you get free will to have emotions and to think and to process and to feel and to respond. He says, so you have free will and you can eat from any tree in the garden. But there is one tree, verse number 17 says, that you got to stay away from. And he says, do not eat. And it doesn't get any more clear than that. Come on, somebody. He says, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So last Sunday, we talked about the fall, that when we get into Genesis chapter 3, we see that Adam, or, or let's start with Eve, she was deceived by the serpent, which is Satan. She took a bite of whatever type of fruit was from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She then offered some to her husband, and in that moment, sin entered the world. Sin entered humanity, and this perfect creation, this perfect world that God created because of their disobedience was now broken. And listen to me, that is what sin does. Sin breaks things. Sin always breaks things. I was reminded of this cute little story uh, in preparation of today about this old preacher. And in this particular time when he was pastoring, uh, the ministry of visitation was something that he and his church practiced. So people would come visit his church and they would find out that you were a guest or a, a part of the congregation. Maybe you would fill out a card and you would drop that off, and then starting that Sunday afternoon and throughout the week, that old preacher would show up at, show up at the guest house, introduce himself, and maybe even share a meal. Now, we don't really do visitation here at Go Church because we've learned the hard way that y'all don't actually like me showing up without being, you know, told that I was coming through. It's because you got to clean that house. Come on, somebody, in Jesus' name. But there was a time when visitation was, it was needed, and it was good. So on this particular Sunday, let me get to the story. On this particular Sunday, this lady comes and she visits the church and she fills out a card and drops it in the offering plate. And so that Sunday afternoon, he shows up at her house and he's standing at the front door and he knocks on the front door and waits a few moments, nobody answers. So he knocks again and he waits a few moments and nobody answers. He tries one more time knocking on the door and nobody answers. So he takes out a business card. And on the front side of the business card is the church's name and the pastor's contact information. But this pastor had a unique personality, a good sense of humor. So he always, when someone didn't answer the door, not only would he leave his business card, but he would write one verse of scripture on the back, and he would write Revelation 3.20. And this was just a cute little way to let them know that he came by. Here's what Revelation 3.20 says. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. Come on, somebody. If you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and we can share a meal together as friends. So he wrote Revelation 3.20 on the back of the card and he stuck it on the door. And that next Sunday, guess what? That lady came to church and that business card showed back up in the offering plate. And one of the ushers brought it to the pastor and the lady had written her own verse of scripture on the back of the card. She wrote Genesis 3.10 and she said, I heard you in the garden. 
And I was afraid because I was naked. So I, <laughs> come on, that's funny. I don't care who you are. <laughs> and this is why we don't do visitation anymore, you know? But when you get to Genesis chapter 3, this is what sin does. Sin has consequences. Sin brings on shame. Sin brings on guilt. Sin makes us feel like, now obviously Genesis 3 is a conversation between Adam and Eve and God that we have to hide from God. And listen to me, you can run, but you can't hide. You can run, but you can't hide from God. God sees all, God knows all, because God is all. But sin does this. Uh, Write this down. This is a a statement that someone made years ago, but sin will take you farther than you want to go. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. And sin will cost you far more than you're willing to pay. Well, Pastor JC, how do you know that? Because I've been there. I've done that. I've got the testimony to tell you that sin has consequences. That for every action, there is a reaction. And the wages of our sin, it is death. It is death. Sin always over-promises and under-delivers. And sin, unconfessed sin, unrepentant sin, will keep us from experiencing eternal life with God the Father. Now listen to me. God doesn't send anyone to hell. God made a way for us to escape the penalty of sin through his son Jesus. Those that spend eternity separated from God, that is done by their own choosing. So what happened in Genesis chapter 3 with the fall of man it changed everything. And listen to me, without, without sin, without disobedience, without Genesis 3, we wouldn't need a Bible. You wouldn't need this church. Wouldn't need me yelling at you every week. Wouldn't need Easter. But Genesis 3 changed things. And the rest of the Bible is God's love story on how he can redeem you Because it is not the will of the Father that anyone would perish, but that all would come to repentance. So what does God do? Let's talk about Jesus. God sends Jesus. I don't know if you've ever wondered, like, why why did God send Jesus to this earth? Uh, 1 John chapter number 3, verse 8. 1 John 3, 8 says it this way. The reason that Jesus came, the reason that God sent his son, the reason that the son of God appeared was to destroy the work of the devil. Now, listen to me, I want everybody to lean in for a second. I don't know what your view of God is. I know a lot of times, though, that our view of God can, can be a parallel of our, our view of our earthly father. And so if we've had a bad experience with an earthly father or maybe even with a parent, then sometimes we kind of view God like that. Some people are just mad at God. They're angry at God. Maybe something tragic has happened in your life, and so you're frustrated at God. Some of you think that God's mad at you and that God's angry at you and God's out to get you. And, you know, he's up in heaven, like looking down, like, now how can I just ruin their life? God's not like that. That's not God. That's Satan. Satan is the one that is seeking whom he may devour. Satan is the one that is putting traps in front of you trying to get you to fall. God is trying to provide for you a straight and narrow way. It's the enemy that's trying to lead you out of alignment. Does that make sense? 
So I don't know what your view of God is, but, but God loves you so much that he decided that he's going to give his son Jesus, his one and only begotten son. Now, if you've been a part of Go Church for a while, you know this, but I love you. Like, I love you. It is the highest honor of my life and my wife, Kimberly, our lives to be the pastor of this church. But I don't love you enough to sacrifice any of my kids. You own your own. Good luck with that. Come on, parents, grandparents. Some of you parents are like, which one? I don't know. It's a rough morning. Daggum Easter bunny. <laughs> Maybe one. And then your kids are like, which one? <laughs> uh, listen, I love you, but I'm not going to sacrifice my son. But Jesus was sent to this earth to destroy the work of the devil. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting eternal life. So how is it through Jesus, the Son of God, uh, don't you love Siri? Come on, somebody. Get saved. <laughs> how is it that Jesus would be able to destroy the work of the devil? I'll show you here in a couple of verses. 1 Corinthians 15. Christ died for our sins. That's one way. He was buried. That's a second way. And then he was raised on the third day. That's the third way. God loves you so much, and I want you to hear that. Life's not perfect, and listen to me, it never will be. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but you can take heart because I have overcome the world. So I don't, I don't, I don't know what you've been up against or what you're going through, what storm. Just being close to Jesus doesn't exempt you from the pains of life, but being close to Jesus, watch, means that you don't have to go through the pains of life alone. So God loves you enough to give you Jesus. And Jesus comes to this earth to destroy the work of the enemy. All the work that the serpent did in the garden, Satan took the keys that were given to Adam and Eve. God gave them access. God gave them dominion. Keys mean authority. Because of their disobedience, Satan took the keys back. Are you tracking with me? So now God said to Jesus, he's like, hey, there has to be a sacrifice. So God loves you enough to send you Jesus. Jesus destroyed the work of the devil by dying for our sins. Somebody ought to say amen. amen. Being buried in a borrowed tomb and then on the third day being risen. Let's look at all three of those today as we talk about Jesus. And then we'll end this Easter message on the glorious resurrection. Let's start with his death. Before the crucifixion of Jesus ever officially began... Research and scholars tell us that they pelted Jesus with a whip. This whip had a ball on the end of it that was made of jagged bone and lead. 39 times they beat Jesus. That was the legal limit. Most humans wouldn't survive that. Then they made him carry his own cross to the top of Golgotha. Once there, they took five to seven inch spikes and they drove those spikes right through his wrist. Do you know what's connected right there? I'll tell you, uh, it's your median nerve, also known as your funny bone. Ain't none funny about your funny bone getting hit. Can I get an amen from somebody? Researchers tell us that 
to have a greater understanding of the type of pain that Jesus felt when they drove those seven-inch spikes into his wrist would be like someone taking a pair of pliers and squeezing your funny bone so tight until it snaps. They laughed at him. They mocked at him. They gambled for his clothes. They, they made fun of him. They even made a sign that, that mocked him as king of the Jews. Hell, king of the Jews. Jesus had difficulty breathing, as you can imagine, being on that cross. And while he could take little gasps of air in, he couldn't exhale. So he would try to lift himself up just enough to relieve some stress from his chest, the pressure that he was feeling. So gruesome, this is true, by the way, you can read it for yourself. So gruesome was the murder and the crucifixion of Jesus, so brutal was that experience that a new word was coined, a new word was created. We get our English word excruciating from the Latin phrase out of the cross. Now, if you're like me, I've often asked God, and I, can I tell you this? This is why we do the Ask Away series in a few weeks. It's okay to have questions. Great questions lead to great faith. Amen? So the enemy may, 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 might make you think that you can't have questions. Ask questions. I have questions all the time. And I've asked God, God, was there no other way? Was there no other way that you could redeem us and save us and set us free? And the answer is no. There was no other way. Hebrews 9 says it like this, that according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there was no forgiveness of sins. Now, the problem with the Old Testament approach to the sacrificing of animals is this. They would sacrifice animals. They would offer the blood as a blood covenant. The problem is, is that those animals weren't perfect. Those animals were, were animals. So their blood sacrifice could only cover up the stain of sin. So God says, I've got to send a perfect spotless lamb. One without fault. One without defect. One without blemish, one without sin. And when his blood is shed on the cross at Calvary, now the shedding of that perfect lamb's blood provides for us a way to be forgiven of our mistakes. That's a great place to pause and say amen. Come on. And Jesus is hanging on that cross. And then watch, they offered him sour wine. And at that, he yelled out this phrase, it is finished. I don't have time to teach this because you do have lunch plans today. But that is a powerful three-word statement. It is finished. And the Bible says at that he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Now, I've often wondered this. And again, have questions. It's good to have questions. What happened to his spirit that he gave up once his fleshly body was crucified? Now, we know where the body goes. Well, let, me, let me show you both. We'll talk about where the body goes, and then we'll talk about where I believe his spirit went. So watch. The moment that he cries out, it is finished, he bows his head, and he gave up his spirit. The Bible says that Joseph had bought some, some cloth. He takes the lifeless, breathless body of Jesus off of the cross. He wraps him in the linen, and he takes him to a tomb that had been cut out inside of a rock, he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. 
Now, there are a couple of theories here that I want to unpack. And time is short, but if you give me a moment, I'll share it with you. The first theory is this, is that the disciples somehow created this, this master game plan to steal the Lord's body. And I just want to tell you two thoughts with this. It was the governor of Rome, Pontius Pilate, that said to the Roman soldiers, the most elite military group of individuals on the face of the earth, make that tomb as secure as you know how. Put a seal on it and then post guard. And you're telling me that these disciples, now there's only 11 of them because Judas Iscariot went and hung himself, that these 11 disciples somehow all of a sudden had great faith and great confidence and great boldness when Jesus often called them cowards and said, oh, ye of little faith. You think that, that, that like Simon Peter, who wouldn't even confess his, his love and commitment to the Lord to a teenage girl, now all of a sudden like, we're going to overtake the Roman soldiers. Come on. Oh, there was no way in and there was no way out. A second theory is called the swoon theory where people believe, well, Jesus didn't really die. He was just unconscious. And so when they took his body and they put it in that damp, cold tomb, it re revived him. I like to call that the fooey theory. Come on, somebody. You learned that in college, by the way. He was crucified. And they put his body in a tomb. And they sealed that tomb. No one getting in. No one getting out. So his body goes to the tomb. Where does his spirit go? There's another theory here about the spirit of Jesus. This theory teaches us that the moment that Jesus dies, that because of something Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 40, not on the screen here, but Jesus says, just as the son of Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, so will the son of man spend in the heart of the earth. So from that particular scripture, people believe that Jesus gave up his spirit and he, he goes to the depth of hell. And while he is in hell, it is there that he pays the consequences of our sin. You following me? Reject that theory. And here's why. Because if you believe that Jesus went to the depth of hell to pay for the consequences of our sin, then you also believe that the cross isn't enough. And that the blood isn't enough. I'm going to preach to you and I hope you preach back. I'm here to tell you on this Easter Sunday of 2022, the cross always has been and always will be enough. And the blood is enough. Come on. There is still power in the blood. But according to scripture, I do believe that Jesus went into the heart of the earth, that Jesus goes down to the pit of hell. And in that moment, Jesus doesn't go to the pit of hell to take on the weight of the consequences of our sin. He already bore them on his shoulders at the cross at Calvary. No, he walked into the pit of hell to make a glorious, victorious proclamation that sin had been defeated and Satan had been destroyed. Come on now. I like to look at it like this. Jesus, crucified on the cross, buried in the tomb. All of hell is having a party. Jesus gives up his spirit. He goes down to the pit of hell. He walks in and he goes, who's your daddy now? Come on. Who is your daddy now? And he looks at Satan and he says, where are those keys? The keys to the kingdom. 
that my father gave to Adam and Eve in the garden. I have come to defeat you and destroy you, and I'll take them their keys to death, hell, and the grave. Can we take five seconds and give Jesus the best praise? Come on, I told you. You'd hear the gospel today. So he's crucified on the cross. They bury him in a borrowed tomb, and now the the ladies are going to go to the entrance of the tomb to begin the, the burial process, the embalming process. This was custom in that day. One bit of information, though, is that when they got there, lightning began to strike. And the Bible says that, that in Matthew that, that the, the earth began to shake with a violent earthquake. And there, and I love this, sitting on top of the stone that was rolled away. The angel just like, yo, just sitting there. The angel says this, he, Jesus, is not here, for he is risen, just as he said. I want everybody on the west side of Atlanta, everybody in Germantown, everybody in this room, everybody in overflow. On the count of three, I want you to shout, he is risen. One, two, three. He is risen. Come on, do it again. One, two, three. He is risen. One, two, three. He is the Greek word is egerthe. Egerthe. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And listen to me. And the resurrection changed everything. The resurrection of Jesus is the linchpin of Christianity. The fact that Jesus is alive, he is risen. I feel the Holy Spirit up here. The fact that Jesus is alive separates our faith from every other faith group in the world. The fact that our God has all power and all authority, right? The fact that our God placed the Spirit of God into his Son and raised him up from the dead separates our religion, and I say religion in the purest sense of that word, but separates our faith and our religion from every other faith and religion in the whole wide world. Here's why. Bad grammar, good preaching. There ain't no God like our God. Come on. No, every other God is a lowercase g God, but you worship the OG, baby. Come on now. He's a capital G God. Come on, high five two or three people and tell them, that's good preaching right there. Up from the grave, he arose. And when Jesus was resurrected, it changed it all. Watch this. I could take you right now to the Green Dome in Saudi Arabia. And inside of the Green Dome, we could visit the remains of a mortal false prophet, false God by the name of Muhammad. Muhammad is dead. We could travel to China. I could take you to two places. I could take you to the cemetery of Confucius. There you can visit the graveside of Confucius. We could go to, to a, a temple in China and there enclosed in a glass box is the skull of Buddha. But if you go down to Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport, or for those of you in Maryland, you go to BWI or Dulles, and you walk up to the counter, and you buy a ticket for about $2,000 to get on an airplane that'll travel 21 and a half, 22 hours to Tel Aviv, Israel. Once you land in Tel Aviv, get yourself an Uber or a taxi. You're going to go about an hour southeast to the garden tomb in Jerusalem. Do you know where I'm going? And you know what you'll find when you get to the garden tomb in Israel? Nothing. Because Jesus is not there. Everything. He is risen. He is risen indeed. I'd wish you'd clap. I'd wish you'd shout. I'd wish you worship a God that is alive forevermore. He is not dead. 
He is alive. Woo, I feel like preaching on Easter. You're lucky this has got six buttons or it'd be off. Uh, the apostle Paul told the church at Corinth, he said, if Christ had not been raised from the dead, then our preaching, this, this yelling, this gathering, this church, this Easter, your faith, useless, worthless, good for nothing. But let me tell you, this preaching is the gospel and it's got power and anointing and authority and your faith is not useless and your faith is not worthless. You've got great faith. Why? Because Christ is alive. I don't mean any disrespect. I love Chinese food. I love it. I've been to Southeast Asia. I've been to Bangkok, Thailand. I've seen the statues on the corner and fruit that's been given as a sacrifice and in the back of my mind I'm thinking if they only knew that there was a God who is bigger than big but closer than close come on church that there is a God that desires intimate friendship my God is not a statue church he is alive and alive forevermore and today Jesus is seated at the right hand of the father and he's praying just for you Thank you, Holy Spirit. It was Jesus that revealed himself to John in the book of Revelation. And Jesus says, hey, I am the living one. He said, I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and the grave. Uh, let me summarize all of this with a thought here. The resurrection of Jesus. Here's what it proves. That God can bring dead things to life. And that is my story. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but thank God I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I don't know your pain. I don't know what you're walking through. I don't know your difficulty. But if God can bring JC from death to life, he can do it for anybody. By a round of applause and a shout of praise, if God has done that for you, can you say thank you, Jesus? I'll close with this question. So it's rhetorical, but what in your life is dead or dying? I don't have to help you identify it. You walked in with it, you know. That current pain, that current struggle, that particular issue, I could stand up here for the next 10 minutes and give you a laundry list of things, but let me, let me categorize them into the three thoughts here. There is an emotional death. And some of you have died to your emotions. The last two years have been unbelievable. And we don't even have to go back two years when the pandemic first hit. The last few weeks for some of you all has been unbelievable. It's been overwhelming. You, you feel in crisis. You feel in torment. Uh, I've been in ministry for 20 years. I have never seen the amount of anxiety and panic and depression 
like what I'm seeing grip people today. Our emotions are erratic and we, we lack hope and we lack joy and that's a problem because the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is your, is your strength. So maybe it's an emotional death for you, but, but then there's the relational death and there's two parts of this. It might be like someone that you love. They, they, they physically died or maybe somebody you love is in the process of dying and that's hard. It's tough. Listen to me. Everybody look at me real quick. No matter how full of God you are, how much you love God, when somebody you love dies, that hurts. It hurts. I'm 41 years old. My father died when I was 13. There are days that I still cry. There are days that I still break over the fact that he doesn't get to see my beautiful wife or my amazing son or my precious princess. It's hard. But we don't grieve like those who have no hope. Because this world, if you're a believer, if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this world is not your home. Come on. We're just passing through. But then there's the relational death of like, and it's not, the enemy is attacking families. We don't even know in our country anymore what the family structure is supposed to look like. And the enemy is attacking homes and marriages are under fire and marriages are under threat and marriages are under war and fathers are against sons and daughters are against mothers and, 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 and husbands and wives, they just go at it. I'm thinking about one couple very specifically here and I would never say their name, but unless God gets in that marriage, they'll divorce. And, and sin has said divorce is normal. God calls you to be abnormal. Do you, does this make sense? But this is what we go through. This is what we walk through. This is what you came into here on Easter Sunday with. And then there is the spiritual death. And this is the most important of all of them that you figure it out. Because your body will die. At some point you will stop breathing. I'm not trying to scare you. That's not my approach. And if you come to Go Church, you know that. But the truth is the truth. James says that life is like a vapor. It's a mist, it's here today and it's gone tomorrow. And at some point, every single one of us will be in a casket with people grieving over the fact that we are no longer here. What happens to your spirit after you die? We know where your body will go. You'll either go into a grave or you'll be cremated. But what about your spirit that lives on forever? I know people that have died in the flesh, but because they have Jesus, they are now fully alive. And I know people that are alive in the flesh but because they don't know Jesus, they are fully dead. What is your spiritual pulse? I got to close. I wish I had more time, but listen, I'm hungry like you. I'll give you the whole long story short in one phrase. The whole story made really, really short. Here it is. Take a picture, write it down. God wants to raise you from death to life. Before you leave, please don't let that go in one ear and out the other. Before you walk out of here, please don't throw this away like it's some piece of trash. God can bring you from death to life in a moment, in a flash.
God can resurrect your hopes, your dreams, your business, your finances. To that couple that I mentioned a moment ago, I hope you're listening. God can bring your marriage from death to life. I love doctors. I respect doctors. I thank God for modern medication and that we live in the country we live in. But we serve the great physician. And God can bring the sick back to life. Whatever situation, whatever pain, whatever problem, whatever area of your life is dying, there is only one answer. Only one answer. Jesus. 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 I've been pastoring as a lead pastor for nine years now. This month makes nine years. And almost every Easter message I've shared Romans chapter 8, verse 11. There's a few that I've missed, but I always try to work Romans 8, 11 into a message. Uh, I want to give this to you. I'll tell you one quick story. You'll be out of here. I'm going to read Romans 8, 11 from the message translation. Man, and I pray that this speaks to your heart the way that it just, it fired me up this week. The scripture says it this way. It stands to reason, doesn't it? That if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in your life. The same thing that he did in Jesus, he'll do in you, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and watch this, he does it's from the Ruach of God, the Spirit of God, the breath of God that he created man. So, so God lives and breathes in you as surely as he did in Jesus. You are delivered from that dead life. And that means you can overcome every addiction. You can overcome every generational curse. You can overcome every attack of the enemy. With his Spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ's. Can we thank God for that word today? Come on, that is the word. All right. All right. I'll tell you one quick story. It's a story about my grandfather. <laughs> oh, Granny Einstein. Grand, Grandpa Einstein, brother. No, this is Albert Einstein, not my grandfather, by the way. I'll tell you this story, and I'll give you the, the shortened version here because of time. And I'll preface the story with this. I do not know if this story is true, but it's on the internet, so it's gotta be. However, the late, great Dr. Billy Graham, come on, how many of you know Dr. Billy Graham? He told this story in one of his sermons. As a matter of fact, I'd like to tell you the way that he told it, a little different from how I told the first gathering. Dr. Billy Graham walks up to the pulpit and begins to preach a message and he makes sure that everybody recognizes the suit that Dr. Graham is wearing. And he points out different features in the suit. And then he proceeds to tell the story about Albert Einstein. On a particular business trip, Albert Einstein boarded a plane. I'm sorry, a train rather, he gets on a train. I don't know where he was going and the details were, were kind of left out, but he gets on this train and he takes his luggage and he puts it on the luggage rack and he takes his belongings and gets settled into his particular train car and he reclines himself for the trip ahead. Sometime later, one of the employees of, of the train company comes from 
car to car to collect the tickets of every passenger on board. So when the employee approaches Albert Einstein, uh, he says, can I get your ticket? And Einstein begins to look for his ticket. He looks in his coat pocket and it's not there. And looks in the other pocket and it's not there. Looks in his trouser pocket, they're not there. Opens up a briefcase. I mean, he's just becoming really, really concerned that he can't find his ticket. Finally, the employee says, Mr. Einstein, I know who you are. Everybody on this train knows who you are. Don't worry about your ticket. Well, there was a moment of relief for Mr. Einstein and the employee walked on. Some time passed and now the employee is just making their rounds, making their rounds, checking on all of the passengers on the train. When he entered Einstein's train car, he noticed that Albert Einstein is on his hands and his knees, looking under the chair and uh, looking all around the floor and digging through his personal belongings. And so the employee comes up and he says, Mr. Einstein, I told you, sir, I know who you are. We all know who you are. You don't need a train ticket. Don't worry about it. And this is what's reported as Einstein's response. He said, sir, I'm glad you know who I am. I too know who I am. The problem is, I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> Do you? Do you know where you're going? And Dr. Billy Graham concluded that part of his sermon. He says, when I die, I'll be buried in this particular suit. But don't worry about what you see in that ca casket. Because I know where I'm going. I want to challenge you with this closing thought. Do you know? where you're going. No man comes to the Father but through Jesus. Take that survey card out. Let's close this way. On the back side, the very bottom, the next step in your faith journey. I want everybody to do this for me, please. And every single one of us, myself included, has a box that we can pick. If you're here today and you say, Pastor JC, I already know where I'm going. I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and my Eternal life is secure in that daily relationship with him. Check box A, if you will. If through the worship today and communion and this message, there's been some conviction for you and you want to make a commitment, you want to begin a new relationship with Jesus today, listen, don't wait. The only moment you're promised is now. Would you mark letter B? Today, I'm beginning a relationship with Jesus. The final two options are this. You know what? Good music, good church, good preaching. I'm just not ready. I'm considering making Jesus my Lord a little bit more. I'm not quite there yet. So I'm considering it, but I'm not there yet. Or the letter D, which would say, I doubt I'll ever make that decision to let Jesus be the Lord of my life. Let me say this to you. If you are in box C or box D, would you own it? Would you admit it? Again, this is anonymous, so I won't know who it is, but I'd like to pray for you. I'd like to pray that every C moves to a B. Come on, somebody. Every D moves to a B. And one day you too can be raised from death to life. Will you take a moment, fill that card out? I'm going to pray for you. We'll sing a song here. We'll transition our campuses. Thank you, Jesus, for your death, your burial, and your resurrection. I give you my life. I give you my heart. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. Come on, if you're type, typing in the box B here, this is for you. Confessing my sin, ready to receive grace and mercy, 
Change me, Lord, and bring me from death to life. In the name of the Father who loves you, the Son who gave his life for you, and the Holy Spirit who lives within you. And the church said amen and amen. One more time. Come on, let's applaud the King of kings, the Lord of lords.